Well, good morning. It's lovely to see you. My name's Kieran. So if you're new to the church here, you might be thinking, oh, Jim and Don, thank you for hosting us this morning. Jim is our senior pastor. So a pastor is like a, a vicar, that sort of thing, a church leader. Jim is senior pastor. Tim, you know the guy with the squinty eyes and the glasses? He's <laughs> not here this week, so I can say that. Don't tell him, all right? It's just a secret between us. Tim is our executive pastor. I'm an associate pastor. So, okay, let's think McDonald's for a minute, all right? You know the badges with the stars? So, like, Jim's got, uh, he's got, like, five, he's got more than one badge, isn't he? With five stars. Tim's probably got five stars. I've got a badge with no stars, all right? Just to put it in context. So maybe after this morning, if I do well, Jim, can I have a star? Is that all right? That would be great. So myself and Steve, uh, associate pastors here. Now, over the last few weeks, if you've been with us, we've been looking at a part of the Bible that studies a very, very famous Bible character called David. And we've called the series David, the Early Years. So we're really looking at, I mean, David's life was amazing all the way through, so much in it. But we thought just for these few weeks over the summer that we would focus in on some of the earlier experiences that, that David had. So Steve brilliantly started off with looking actually how God called David, this shepherd boy, actually despised by his family, really. Despised in some ways by his father. And yet God had his hand on his life even then and called him to be king. And then the following week, Jack spoke about probably the most famous story linked in with David, with David and Goliath, you know, David the giant slayer. And then last week... The story moved on and Terry took us through some of the challenges. You see, when Goliath fell, not only did he fall and shake the ground, but actually the whole nation was shaken. And we saw last week, uh, if you were here, all of this is on YouTube, by the way, if you want to have a look at it or go on our website and listen to the audio. Last week, Terry looked at some of the relationships that David had. Now, for me this week, I'm going to actually look at two One of the relationships between two people, David and his friend Jonathan. Now to do that, we're going to have to sort of like just pick and choose a bit because we're really starting at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 17 and going through to 1 Samuel chapter 20 to the end of that. Now that's, if I just read that, that would be it. We could all go home. It would take too long. So I'm just going to kind of dip in and out of that, but just to to give you some idea and some context of, of what we're doing. So I'm going to pick up four verses from 1 Samuel chapter 18, and starting at verse 1, and I'm just going to read those to us now. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. It should come up on the screen. After David had finished talking with Saul. So the context of this, David has killed Goliath. Saul's perplexed. Who is this young guy? And David... Abner, the, you know, the, king of, uh, the chief of the army, b- brings David to Saul. And it says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even the sword, his bow, and his belt. 
So who, who is this guy, Jonathan? Well, Jonathan is actually the king's son. He's the crown prince. He's the heir to the throne. Next in line with, uh, with King Saul, he's the most important man in the country. We can read in previous chapters of Saul, uh, sorry, Jonathan's amazing bravery, how he actually saved the nation at one point and uh, really led a, a great campaign and a victory o- over the Philistines. But this morning, I really want to focus in on, on this relationship between, between David and Jonathan. And I'm going to pick up a few words in those verses that we looked at. The first word I want to pick up is in 1 Samuel 18 and verse 1. It said, or words, it says, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. He became one in spirit with David. That's interesting because Saul, we heard last week from Terry, Saul was not a good king. And somehow as David recounted some of his journey to Saul, how he felt God prompted him to slay the giant Goliath, something in Jonathan's heart clicked and there was a connection. And yet Saul just didn't even really take it in. And there's a a moment where Jonathan, it says, became one in spirit with David. The word that's used there is like to bond or to knit, to, to be knitted with somebody, to become one together. It says in that moment, somehow, Jonathan felt like he was one in spirit, kindred spirit. You know that, that sort of saying. There's a knitting that, go, that goes on. The Latin for the, the word there is literally a coming together, a knitting Jonathan became one in spirit, bonded, knitted to David. In some way, kind of embraced already into David's friendship and into David's family. This year, I've been married uh, 25 years to my amazing wife. What she's had to put up with in that time. (laughs) When when we met um, back in 1993... We were dating each other, and you know, was, I, I just I fell in love with her immediately. She didn't fall in love with me immediately, but I fell in love with her immediately. And uh, eventually, I got to meet Sarah's parents, got to know them. They're a fantastic family, all of them. But there was a moment, a historic moment, actually, this is before I even married Sarah, where there was a moment where Sarah's mum, Chris, she produced the Welcome to the Family jumper that she'd been knitting. Now, I've got it here. This is it. So this is the jumper. I think I was a lot bigger then. (laughs) This is the jumper that Chris knitted me, the welcome to the family jumper. Okay? Let's just say that before I met Sarah, she had a long-term relationship with another guy. He never got the jumper. (laughs) Let's just leave it at that. For some reason, Chris never felt compelled to knit him a jumper. Now, that's a separate story. We're not going to go there, all right? You know, the past is the past. So this is the welcome to the jumper family, which now my lovely daughter Lucy wears. She, she's kind of like, she's adopted this. Now, I don't know if you know this, but this morning, Lucy's sitting over there. Now, the young man that was on stage here that normally plays the drums, obviously, uh, Sam and, uh, you know, there's been some sort of fallout in the drummers here because he wasn't on drums this morning. I don't know what's happened. He was singing, uh, which he doesn't normally do. Falling out with Bruce or whatever. But Sam, who's sitting over there, Sam, all right, is now dating my daughter Lucy. 
Now, we have taken the tradition of the <laughs> welcome to the family jumper. And what I would love to do, Sam, this morning, if you'd like to come forward. <laughs> you join me on stage. You're a great man. He doesn't know anything about this, by the way. I asked Lucy, she said it'd be fine. <laughs> so, we don't do normally welcome to the family jumpers. So what my lovely wife Sarah does, she, she knits scarves for people, and they're fantastic. She knits a welcome to the family scarf. She knitted you a welcome to the family scarf, didn't she, Sam? Yep. But you never wear it. <laughs> Could I have the mic set there? So really what I want to know, Sam, is... Why don't you wear the welcome to the family scarf? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a scarf guy. I don't wear scarves. Okay. So what I'd love to do this morning is present this jumper to Sam. It's a welcome to the family jumper. But because you haven't worn the scarf, I'm not going to. So you can sit down. Thanks. <laughs> Maybe one day, Sam. Where is this going? <laughs> when God meets with David and meets with Jonathan, there's a knitting of hearts. There's a knitting together. There's a bonding. There's a, a, a coming together. Do you know that when Jesus calls you, what he wants to do, he wants to knit your heart with his. I love in the book of Galatians, it said, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself to me. Do you know this morning, church, that if you've said to Jesus, yes, I want to follow you, you are knitted with him. Now, I came across this on the internet. I don't know if you can see this picture. I mean, when you look stuff up on the internet, there's all sorts of weirdness. Knitted Jesus on the cross. Now, can you put that down again? Because that's unhelpful. We're not talking about some sort of weird knitting thing. We're talking about you being united with Christ. A union with Christ. A oneness with Christ. In fact, the next word that we come across in this passage in 1 Samuel is this. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 3, it says, Jonathan made a covenant with David. Well, what is a covenant? You see, lots of people look at this passage, and rightly so, and say, actually, and these passages, the story of David and Jonathan is a great story about friendship. Yes, it is about friendship, but it's, it's about much more than that. It says he made a covenant. What is a covenant? Well, a covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. Often it was between two equal parties. In this case, actually, it's unequal. You've got the crown prince, the heir to the throne, and you have, John, uh, and you have David, who's really just a shepherd boy, and yet Jonathan wants to make a covenant 
with him. And you see, when there's a covenant, back in the day, what they would do is they would take a sacrificial animal, they would cut it in two, they would, they would sacrifice the animal, they would separate the pieces, and both the parties would walk between them, and they would say this, let what has happened to this animal happen to one of us if we break that covenant. A covenant was ratified, was certified by the shed blood of the sacrifice. So I don't know if you've, if you've been to a wedding. Most people have been to a wedding. Traditionally in a wedding, it doesn't always happen. When you walk into a wedding, the ushers that are there, they'll say, bride or groom. Normally I say, well, neither. I just came to watch, you know. Um, but they want to know, are you with the bride's family or are you with the groom's family? And depending on which part of the family, friends or relatives, you sit either on one side of the church or on the other side of the church. And the couple, when they come in, that glorious moment, when the couple come in and the father of the bride or whoever's doing that walks the bride down the aisle, there's that moment where they go between the families. But actually, when they leave, they, they walk together. They've made an agreement, a covenant. It's not a contract. It's more than that. It's before God. And it doesn't happen without the shedding of blood. And you see, Jesus, it says this. When Jesus walked on the earth, John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God, referring to Jesus, who takes away the sins of the world, John 1, 29. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was the sacrifice cut in two so that you and I can have a relationship with God. Jesus took the cup, which we remember when we have communion. And he said, this is the cup of my blood, the covenant, the new covenants. That's what he's referring to. You see, the Bible, this Bible, everything screams about Jesus and his love for you and his desire to call you to himself and have a relationship with you. Knitted hearts. Jonathan made a covenant with David. And we see all this imagery. In many ways, we, we hear people saying, actually, that David is what's called a type of Christ. In other words, that the Old Testament story of David always points forward to Jesus. It does, but it's more than that. I think Jonathan points forward to Jesus as well when we look at this. In Hebrews, it says, for this reason, Christ is a mediator of a, of a new covenant. And then the third word I want to look at in 1 Samuel 18, verse 3, it says this, Jonathan loved David as himself. Now, if you look back over these chapters, it wasn't just Jonathan. I mean, everybody loved David. Literally, you read in the chapters there, everybody loved David. In 1 Samuel Chapter 18, it says, Jonathan loved David as himself. Interesting, Jesus said, was asked what the greatest commandment was. And he said to love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. David loved, sorry, Jonathan loved David as himself. Everybody loves David. We, we read in uh, 1 Samuel 18 that Jonathan loved David. It's written there twice in, in two verses. Uh, it says, all Israel, in verse 16 of chapter 18, all Israel and all Judah loved David. It talks about Michael loving David. 
and Terry covered all that brilliantly last week. There's only one person who doesn't love David, and that's King Saul that we hear about. But you see, Jonathan is, is a loving friend. It's good to have friends, isn't it? isn't it? Isn't it great to have friends? And in my experience, you really do know who your friends are when times get tough. And I can think back over, over my life and in moments of real challenge, there's been moments where I've realized that some people have just been there through thick and thin. And God's able to provide you with that. And we see Jonathan is a good friend. In 1 Samuel 19 and 20, we see that Jonathan warns David of some impending death that could be coming his way. Jonathan is an advocate. He speaks in David's defense, actually, to his own father. He puts his own relationship with his father in difficulty, speaks in a good way about David to King Saul. He confronts the king. He confronts the king, his father, with the truth. He says to him, why sin and kill an innocent man? He's loyal, we read. He's trustworthy. And he's affectionate. Further on in 1 Samuel 23, verse 16, I love this verse. Again, just because of time, we can't read all the accounts of these two men together, but it says in 1 Samuel 23, 16, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him to find strength in God. I wonder if I can be that person to somebody even today that might be struggling. You know, after, after this, we're going to have tea, coffee, refreshments, there's roast dinner out there and everything. You know, it's just it's amazing what gets laid on in this church. Um, but I wonder today, you know, I, it might sound a bit weird, but sometimes when I turn up here on a Sunday, I'll just say a little prayer to God. I'll say, God, if there's somebody here that maybe I can just say hello to or be nice to and that might help them, will you just somehow lead me to them? You're probably thinking, well, he talks to me, he doesn't do me any good. <laughs> but may, maybe that could be a prayer for you this week. If you're a Jesus follower today, you can pray, God, maybe today or this week, could I be good news to somebody else? Even if you're going through it yourself, it's always good to say, God, help me to be like Jonathan and help another person to find strength in God. And of course, when we look in the New Testament, we see Jesus describe himself, was described as the friend of sinners. I love, a, love uh, the verse in Proverbs 18.24, where it says this, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And my experience, that's, that's been Jesus. He sticks closer than a brother. Claire, thank you for sharing what you shared this morning about how God wants intimacy with us. See, really what this is about today, you know, yes, you could say, oh yeah, I've been to church, I've sung a few songs, I've heard some words. No, no. Somehow God's trying to impress upon us through what Claire said, through the songs we've sung, that he really does love you. He loves every single person sitting in this room today watching on YouTube if you catch up on the internet. I love this verse from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. It says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. This is the words of God to you. I have loved you 
with an everlasting love. I wonder, particularly in light of what Claire felt God was wanting us to hear this morning, I wonder if that is maybe one of the key points that you need to hear today. That God loves you with an everlasting love. Do you know he loves you even though he completely knows you? You know, he knows the dark secrets that maybe nobody else knows. But listen, he loves you with an everlasting love. And then the second part of that verse, I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. You know, in spite of my failures and your failures, he is drawing you close to him with unfailing kindness. This is amazing, isn't it? And then one more phrase I want to look at before we, we come back together and pray. And that's in 1 Samuel 18 and verse 4. It says, Jonathan took the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, in some ways, you you might think, well, that's a generous thing for a friend to do. You know, you've got a friend there, you know, maybe David was cold, he thought, oh, he needs my cloak. Or he's still cold, I'll give him my... No, no. It's sometimes helpful to see the, the bigger picture with this. Let's remind ourselves. Saul had rebelled against God, God had said, I'm going to raise up a man after my own heart, the way he's described David in the Bible. And he was anointed by Samuel, and he was going to be the new anointed king. But at this moment in time, he's just killed Goliath. He is just a shepherd boy. So you have the crown prince, I suppose the equivalent of Prince Charles in in our day, coming to this unknown shepherd boy. And what he does, what Jonathan does, by taking off his royal robe, by laying down his sword, by giving him what he has, he is saying before David, this shepherd boy, I recognize the anointing of God on your life, and now I take off my royal robe I abdicate the throne. Can you see how massive that must have been? It isn't like, you know, in one sense, David had proved himself with Goliath. But he saw what Saul did not see. And he says, I willingly abdicate my position and defer to you. Now, interestingly, David's response, every time he encounters Jonathan... He doesn't usurp. He recognizes that Jonathan is the heir to the throne. He's the crown prince. It says when David goes to Jonathan, even in their friendship, it says he bows down three times before him. You see, it's more than friendship. There's a knitting of hearts. It's more than friendship. They've made a covenant between each other. But it's more than friendship because Jonathan realizes there's a moment when David will be king, and he bows before him and takes off his robe, his royal robes. The crown prince abdicates. Jesus spent three years ministering on this earth, 30 years on this earth and three years of ministry. It's recorded in the New Testament. 
And at the end of that time, when he'd been arrested, put on trial, the Roman soldiers mocked him and spat on him. If you've seen the Passion of the Christ film, you know a little of that story. And they put a royal robe on his shoulders. And in Matthew 27, verse 31, it says this. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. In Philippians, it says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But there's this moment in humility where Jesus, King Jesus, abdicates his royal position. The robe, the mocking robe is taken off. And he is led out and crucified as a criminal. Why? Actually, so that his royal robes may be bestowed on you and I. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, we may have the righteousness of God. So that means every single person within the sound of my voice that chooses to bow the knee to Jesus, to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I need you. It's like Jesus takes off his royal robe and clothes us with his righteousness. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see all your mistakes and my mistakes, all your foul-ups, all your, your sin. What he sees is this amazing Christ that was crucified and the glorious robes of righteousness, of cleanliness, of forgiveness, of shame washed away, given to you. He sees the cloak around you and he says, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And he says that of you, which is why he prompts Claire to say, do you know what today? He wants you to know how much God loves you. I have one more thing to say and then maybe the band could come up. I'm pointing over there. It's only Sam. Maybe, Sam, you could come up on your own. <laughs> One more thing to say, and then we're going to pray and sing. In these verses, we've read that Jonathan willingly laid down his sword, 
gave it to David. He laid down his, his weapons and he took off his robe, his royal robe. He abdicated his responsibility. In the story that Terry referred to last week, four times David escapes from King Saul trying to kill him. Four times. Jonathan rescues him. Michael rescues him. David eludes Saul's spear himself. The fourth time he escapes, God breaks in. Saul sends men to capture David when he's with Samuel. And as they get nearer, the power of the living God comes on them and it says they start prophesying, these men that are going to kill David. They start, the power of God overcomes them to the point where they cannot get near him. He sends group after group after group. Eventually he goes himself. As he approaches David, the power of God comes on Saul. It says he starts prophesying. We're not even sure quite what that means in this context. Understand that the New, New Testament God, the power of God comes on him, and what it says is this He took off his robe. My challenge to each one of us today is Jonathan willingly took off his robe and laid down his weapons before God, before David, I should say. Today, God is challenging you and I will we willingly relinquish our place on the throne, take off our robe? And kneel before him. Because if we do, he will bestow us with righteousness. If you're in a history at all, you may, if you've been to London, you've seen Nelson's column. Well, I don't know if you know, but Nelson was a great warrior in our nation. He was an admiral. He led the navy. And when he was fighting the French, another admiral surrendered. And he came and met with Lord Nelson. And as he came to him, he stretched out his hand to shake his hand as a defeated foe. And Nelson said, no, sir, first give me your sword and then we can shake hands. Let me ask you this morning, if you want to approach God, are you willing to lay down your kingship of your life? Are you willing to surrender your sword? And then he will embrace you. May we pray together? Can I invite you to stand if you're able to? We're going to pray and then we're going to sing. Just invite you to, uh, to close your eyes. In a room of this many hundred people, or for the multiple number of people that are watching this on, on YouTube or listening to it online, what I've just said about needing to surrender may particularly apply to you. You know, you may have been a believer a long time, but you know there's areas in your life that you just need to, you feel like, no, no, I'm in charge, I'm still the king. I'm on the throne. You said Jesus is king in your life, but actually you've got back on the throne and God is prompting you in this moment to say, do you know what? 
Come off the throne, receive my love, bow the knee to me again, I'll embrace you and love you. And look, I don't know, but God will make that clear to you if that is you this morning. And then there's others in this room where you know you need to surrender. You're like the admiral. You've still got all your weapons. You're playing it safe, but no, no, no. If you, need to, if you want to surrender to Jesus, you've got to lay down everything. You've got to lay down your arms. How do you do that? How do you come to Jesus? You say, Jesus, I'm sorry for everything I've done wrong in my life. I know that only through your death on the cross that I can be forgiven and set free and the shame removed. And I choose to receive your forgiveness and your new life into my heart. That's, that's what you do now. So God, I pray in this room, wherever people are at, Lord, for those that know they need to bow the knee to you, maybe for the very first time, or to bow the knee again, I pray, Heavenly Father, would you pour your love out? But God, you are a loving God, but also you are a God that judges the motives of our hearts and every thought and every intention, and yet you love us. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us, is what we're told in the Bible. And God, I pray you would pour your mercy out on those that are choosing in this moment to abdicate themselves as king or queen, to bow the knee and receive your love. Lord, may we hear you speaking to us and may we respond, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Laura, if you could lead us, that'd be great. Thank you.